You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. How's it going, Grump? I'm a little uh, jet-lagged. Had a quick trip back and forth to Seattle. Visit the uh, the sister. Went to uh, hockey to see the Kraken in uh, Vegas Golden Knights. The By far and away, the best arena I've been to in this country. It was, it was a pretty amazing place. and uh, I was just going to ask you, yeah. It's unbelievable. What they did was um, the old Seattle Center had this really cool, iconic roof, like from the '60s. Mm-hmm. And what they did was, when they got the hockey team, they basically gutted out the entire arena and kept the roof. So the state, the arena is underground, and there's this roof. It looks like a, it looks like a church from like 1963 when you're like driving down the interstate and you see like a big church, and it's just this really really cool building. So it was a. Uh, a lot of fun, so I'm still a little jet lagged, but uh, that's cool. I mean, I, I I was actually really stoked for the expansion team into into hockey, the Seattle Kraken. So yeah, I mean, they have the coolest uniforms. I mean, Seattle has three teams, which I don't like, obviously, but they have the coolest uniforms. They have that that color scheme of like that kind of cool turquoisey green. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's really really cool looking. So yeah, and and uh, some somewhat football news wrestlemania was yesterday and pat mcafee got to wrestle that's kind of awesome <laughs> pat mcafee had like lived out a wrestling fans like dream he fought mince vince mcmahon uh he fought stone cold he got stunned and he was chugging beers it i mean that's that's everything anyone so, who's ever wanted to be in pro wrestling to do and he's so he's fantastic at it too <laughs> so if there was one person from the sports world you'd like to wrestle and not in a stage way like the WWF, like or WWE, but really could wrestle to the death. Who would it be? Like, as in, I want to kill them. Okay, if you maybe just or seriously maim them, one of the two. The first person that comes to mind is Cortland Finnegan. Okay. Um, he's just a prick. I mean, if you remember him uh, playing corner for the Titans, he was just always starting shit and the the thing that comes to mind immediately and i think most people was when andre johnson just punched the ever-living shit out of him in the right you, you remember that like where oh, they I they remember. they got into it the play before and then that next play was not even a play they just went and just started fighting and uh i think that's like really the only time andre johnson ever really had an issue like that you know what I mean? Like that really speaks to Cortland Finnegan and who he is. And if you remember, he was all part of that that Panthers team in 2015 and that game against uh, the Giants with Beckham and Norman. He was all involved in that shit too. I believe he went out there with the baseball bat as well. I absolutely hate right. that guy. I can't stand Cortland Finnegan. I'm sure there's somebody else I actually hate more, but that's the first one that comes to mind. I would love to stunner him. <laughs> I- suplex. The two people I would, would like to be would be no surprise went to Florida State. Hmm. Darnell Dockett. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So in the uh, 2001 Florida-Florida State game, purposely three times tried to injure Ernest Graham, like twisting his leg in the goal line after tackles. And there was video of him in the locker room saying, did you see what I did to Graham? Did you see what I did? 
Hurts Ernest Graham, he can't play in the Tennessee game the week later. We lose lose our shot to go to the SEC championship game in the national title. So that motherfucker, if I ever see him. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, can, I can get that one. That's, that's very personal. And, and uh, former Giant and former Noel, Danny Cannell. Oh. That guy's just a dick with ears. And uh, <laughs> everything he says, he's he's – picked up this persona as being Mr. Anti-SEC, and he sounds yeah. like a... He's embraced it, too. It just sounds like an idiot. I mean, it's just one of those things, like, he just sounds like a fake news person you would listen to on Twitter. Like, you know, it's like, okay, I know you have shtick, and I know this is what you're trying to say now and try to be funny, but you sound like an asshole. And, uh... This just sounds like an idiot is somebody who wasn't very good. Like, well, like that good at Florida State. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he beat us in, uh year was that late 90s yeah it's gotta be so but uh you know <clears throat> fuck those two so yeah if we ever have uh if you ever get on the just giants podcast <laughs> yeah, we'll dude, if we ever guys. get to like a royal a tag team match yeah you guys are more than welcome to be invited to the show and <laughs> all my me and cranky versus Cortland finnegan and darnell dockett beauty yeah <laughs> that one won't end well for us i don't think um <laughs> But in actual exciting news, uh, Giants news, it was the you know new head coach means that they can start their offseason workout program early. So they did. Um, voluntary workouts. Some guys showed up. Some guys didn't. Important to remember. It's voluntary. This is not necessary. It's not required. A lot of this stuff is strength and conditioning. It's not learning plays. So, Do you think of all the things that happen in an NFL calendar, that's the one thing that people over – get overexcited about and get over reactionary and emotional about then people who don't show up for voluntary workouts it's up there i don't know if it's the most but it's definitely up there because it's a conversation every year to the point now where i don't even point it out like if, if it's yeah. like if somebody's a no-show and everyone's just like oh guess who didn't show up I, I just don't even say anything because i mean you could point the finger right at michael strahan just be like this dude doesn't even show up to preseason yeah when the super bowl he didn't show up early for preseason I mean, that's not even showing up early. That's required. I mean, you're yeah. getting fined for not showing up. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it it's doesn't... It's voluntary. Yeah, it's voluntary. Um, I mean... And again, nice. I know I know that people say that, like, you should be there and whatever, and that's kind of true, but most of what they do is strength and conditioning, and in today's world of professional athletes, they do that stuff on their own all year round anyway. Like the days of doing two a days in training camp was used to get guys to be whipped into shape. These guys don't need to be whipped into shape for the most part now. Now I, I, it's a story when they show up out of shape. I mean, I would say, you know, again, you don't have to be there, but it'd be nice to be there. I mean, it's. I would have liked Kadarius Tony to be there. I think it would have looked very good on his part for a new coaching staff that he was eager to get in the building and get to work. But yeah, I don't I really care that he didn't. I, I don't think it's a question even of impressing your new coaching staff. I think it's a new coaching staff is trying to instill a new culture. Sure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows this team needs culture. And uh, you kind of want to. Every every interaction you can have with your coaching staff. Because remember, two years ago, nobody had any interaction with their coaching staff. We had a new head coach point. who had to install not only an offense, a defense, special teams, a philosophy, but a whole culture through Zoom. Yeah. So, I mean, so in that case, I mean, I, I think it's in your best interest to go. And you want to build, you know, there is something to be said about a team and, you know, building camaraderie with your team and – that kind of 
you know, togetherness. I mean, but again, it's not required. And if he doesn't show up, if Kadarius Tony has a game where he catches 11 passes for 190 yards, no one's going to remember. Yeah. If he has a game where he has four drops, no one's going to remember. You know, it's so it's kind of like the only time it's ever going to get remembered is if he is consistently having bad games that is what's more likely with tony is that he's going to miss games i mean that's that's the more likely thing that's going to happen with him over the course of his career is he's he's just an oft injured guy as many of these wide receivers and dbs are nowadays um i don't think the criticism for him is going to be not performing ever And I think the really great coaches out there and the great coaching staffs identify players that are Sunday players. Yeah. That doesn't mean, you know, what they do from Monday to Saturday is secondary to what they do on Sunday. And I think coaches that are, you know, the extra special ones, they, they A, value that, understand it, and B, can identify it. Because some people are just loafers and lazy. Some people just, you know, they shine on the biggest stage. And, you know, the grind isn't necessarily for them, so... Don't waste any time worrying about this or calling up the fan and complaining about it. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, And along with that, I don't know that we'll ever really talk about this again in future episodes. Um, The voluntary workouts, you think? Until we have the same speech next year before. Well, yeah, I I meant this year. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, we'll point it out as part of our news, but I mean, I'm not going to go into any. You know who did how many reps or you know what kind of stretches they did or yeah <laughs> some stretching yes. news <laughs> this week in flexibility um <laughs> well let's skip that part for talking about me because i am just oh I yeah my shoulder i'm brutal i Ugh. i've had to work stretches into my life uh like Ugh. every day because i'm I, just not flexible i really think i'm on the on the path towards some sort of something with this rotator cuff i mean it's been rigor mortis that might be the next step, and it might be more painless than what I'm feeling in this shoulder right now. So we'll, uh, we'll make that a uh, recurring theme on the show going forward. How is uh, – Yeah, uh, we'll check up on your shoulder. shoulder doing? Because right now it's not good. That'll be the, the weekly injury report until we <laughs> yes. have a real one. Um, <laughs> Most sp- doubtful. <laughs> speaking of actual flexibility, some cap flexibility today. Joe Shane has moved some of Adore Jackson's contract around. They cleared about $6 million today by increasing 2023's cap hit and adding a void year to 2024, um, which is how much money is it to the 2024? I think it's like $3 million, uh, just south of $3 million to 2024. In 2023, his cap hit goes up to $19 million. So we are seeing a potential out next year for Adore Jackson, though I don't think they're going to exercise that. Yeah, we are uh, we are with six point seven eight eight million dollars in cap space per over the cap right now, and we need about twelve and a half million to sign the rookie class. Yeah, which we don't need to do on draft day for everybody. Just mm-hmm. like I know the draft is coming up, but they don't usually sign that quickly anyway. There's no reason to force them to sign. We, we don't have the money. We have time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I don't expect James Bradbury to be moved until dra- draft day or after. Mm-hmm. We, um, I mean, the whole universe knows we're trying to move him. Let's try to get a little leverage for ourselves. Yeah. So, um, but I think this is interesting. You know, this move with the Dory Jackson, you know, if you, the fever on Twitter, you know, more than a vocal minority, I think have been like, well, Joe shit. 
Shane did said we are going to cut forty million dollars. He said we're not kicking money down the road, and some people are kind of like, "Up, oh, same old giants." Look, we set some pretty high, lofty goals that were most likely unobtainable in this. We offense. said it at the time too. We were like, "Why forty million? That's like way more than we need." Yeah, and you know, we are in cap hell, and we are trying to, you know, undo. The, the poor cat management we've had for the last couple of years. I mean, it's out there on Twitter. You could see, you know, the list of the Gettleman uh, signings and things and the poor cat management and we, why we are where we are. And you can't just snap your fingers and say, we're going to cut $40 million and then we are scot-free going into 2022. I mean, I think it's reasonable, the moves we've made so far. And even this move, you know, if you have to move some stuff over to 2023 and 2024, so be it, you know, who knows what the state of this franchise is a year from right now and you know what guys that are in our plans now won't be in our plans and other cuts and who knows what happens with this draft if we're gonna you know trade down and trade out of some things and have more picks for next year so I, I, I don't think let's not get crazy when a move like this happens and everyone's like oh same old giants they're just uh, kicking it down the road for some other day of reckoning I think we are making some pretty prudent, smart moves so we're not the embarrassing team we were last year. But, you know, there's been some pretty t- interesting moves. That, you know, we're, we're trying to, to, you know, thread that needle of being, accept, you know, not embarrassing and being prepared for next year and the year after that to, to build the right way. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things to say about this, right? Uh, I, In my opinion, Joe Shane made a mistake and – saying too many words to the to the media mm-hmm. um i don't think there's anything wrong with what he said but basically he was just talking about his general philosophy as a general manager and the things that he likes to do and doesn't like to do and he said that doing this was a last resort this kind of adding a void year kicking money into the future he did not say he wouldn't do it this year or anything like that this is this is not a typical year that a gm has to deal with GMs do not typically have to deal with this level of cap flexibility. I mean, they're coming off of a down cap year because of a random pandemic that we haven't seen since the 1930s or whatever, whenever the Spanish flu was. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't a normal everyday year for the general manager. He just got here. He's inheriting a terrible cap situation, some giant bloated contracts on some young players. Um so when he said that this is a last resort, he didn't mean that he's not going to do it and that he's not going to do it this year. This year is an exception to the way he mm-hmm. would like to do business. That is just obvious. I mean, that's not even a – it's more than just a, just a fact. And just look at the numbers too. We're not talking about a contract that's going to – Dude, we're talking about kicking $3 million into a yeah. year where they have like $225 million in cap space or something I mean, like that. somebody that has to get deferred, I think he did a pretty good job. But you know, this is a town and this is a market. And this is a fan base where, you know, when a, uh, a phrase is uttered by a coach, a general manager, a player, whoever, it can easily turn. It just lives there now. It becomes that... like a buzzword. It becomes a mocking thing and something that will end up in their obituary and on their tombstone. And let's, you know, again. I mean, this is this has become his, process right his computer guy's thing, right? Like this has become... Uh, like that Dave Gettleman quote about the computer fellas or whatever the hell he mm-hmm. said. I mean, this is that same thing. Just, yeah, last resort is now like 
in the Giants vernacular. But the fact is that every single major beat writer for the Giants understood that one of the three big contracts would have to be tampered with. Adoree Jackson, or four, I get um, three, four, I don't know. Adoree Jackson, Kenny Galladay, Leonard Williams. Those guys, their contract was going to get screwed with. James Bradbury was a given. Every single beat writer knew that one of those contracts was getting screwed with. They've all put out articles about it. And by the way, every single one of them did the same thing we did. We had a whole exercise trying to figure out how you even cut $40 million and field a team that isn't going to be terrible. And none of us could really do it well. And if I recall, neither of us got to 40 million. Neither one of us made it to 40 million. I think I was five or six million. You were close because we didn't do anything to anybody else's contracts. We had no restructuring, you know, none of that stuff. So. You know, just because we can kind of look and see like, oh, you can't do it. These guys are professionals and they, you know, they're dealing with, you know, <laughs> other factors, too. So, you know, I think he came pretty close and, you know, something that's not going to kill us next year or in future years. I also don't have a problem with this happening to Adoree Jackson anyway. I mean, if this was the only offseason move that we did to clear space and we didn't need to make $40 million and they just did this, whatever. I mean, he's a young dude that perfectly fits the defense that we're trying to run. He can, He's coming off of a very good year where he was barely even targeted. He was playing so well. I mean, he's young. I, I don't understand what the problem is with this contract. I, I, I mean, I would be okay with this move even if we didn't need to desperately clear money. Well, the, it, it, it's nothing to do with him personally or the contract. Again, it's that that backlash you get when you say things yeah i think i think that's the case and that and it's a gettleman signing so yeah uh, i I mean i know uh i'm blocked by pat leonard but i've i saw the tweet where he said that the the worst contract on the roster just got worse and i just don't agree with that um that's that was what he said so i mean i don't even think it's the worst contract because i think he he's a fantastic player (laughs) well i'm uh not getting the NyQuil out because I won't have any problem sleeping tonight yeah. with, with this situation. What is going to keep me up at night is the Eagles trade today. Um, mm-hmm. So the Eagles traded away some draft picks. They had three first-round picks, so you knew something was moving this year. Um, and they traded away both the 16th and the 19th pick and the 194th, which is their sixth-round pick, to New Orleans, who went and got the 18th pick. I'm uh, oh, sorry, and gave their 18th pick to the Saints. Uh, to to the Eagles, they gave the 18th overall pick, the 101st, which is a third-round pick, a 237th, which is a nothing seventh-round pick, but then they get a 2023 first-round pick, which is terrible for us, and a 2024 second-round pick, which is also bad for us. Why is it bad for us? Because they also need a quarterback, and now they have the ammo to move past us no matter what. I mean, even, is- even if we get another uh, first-round pick next year, which I've been clamoring for, I'm not sure that we have the ammo because they also have a second round, two second round picks in 2024. Then they could just deal one of those away as well. And also, signals are not going for a quarterback this year either. They just they they're yeah. deferring to next year as well. Well, you know, we have the ammo. We can always go into the future for picks as well. It's not the only picks to to, to play around with next year. Or- yeah, but it does it, it makes it that much harder. Sure. Where it was already kind of a bad situation to be in, where you kind of feel like you need to trade one of your picks this year to get one next year and. Now you do that and it may not even work. So, I mean, it, it, this sucks. I'm not going to lie. And this is this is some great move by Howie Roseman. But I've been seeing this on Twitter um, that one of the picks being moved away is a holdover from when they tanked the last game of the season, 2020, and all that other stuff. And while that may be the case, it certainly had nothing to do with their intention at the time. No, no. So, I mean, we can just – you can connect the dots if you want, but you can't act like it's – 
playing the 3D only, uh, chess. The only solace you can put in any of this is we don't know what's going to happen in the NFC East this year. I mean, Dallas can win 12 games. They can win six. Philly, you know, it's such a bad division. Philly can end up winning 10, 11 games, and, you know, their picks aren't as good as you think, and it's harder for them to make moves also. So, you know, maybe they decide Jalen Hurts is their guy. They have a success. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's the other thing. When they tanked, that was when – that was like Jalen Hurts was playing and they pulled him and he was playing well. So – Well, that was that was the tank was when they pulled him. But that's what I'm saying is it's not even like they to, – to put the exclamation point, I guess, on the – they didn't know what they were doing at the time is their quarterback was currently playing fairly well. Uh, yeah. I mean, and also the excuse. And Doug Peterson's not even there anymore, so. We really want to see what our third string quarterback is all about. That's just a (laughs) laming pile of horse shit. I mean, come on. You know what's sad is he actually played better than Jake Fromm. (laughs) That's that's true. Yeah. In a a must-win game, well, not for them, no. But it was a must-win for Washington, wasn't it? It was a must-win for Washington. It was Washington and the Giants had postseason – implications for that game and, yeah you know they yeah well let's not talk about that yeah well i mean this is you know it's news but it's not really going to be anything more than just some hypothetical numbers and stuff well, until me, draft day actually now that i'm thinking of this now we got a couple of seconds here hypothetical what if the giants did make the playoffs do you think joe judge would have had any more of a leash last year or you think it was just everything that happened just fell apart and it had been like it had been gone anyway I don't know. Because I think he was fairly close to keeping it together last year. Not keeping it together, but keeping his job last year. I think he was I think he was kinda close to keeping it because there was so much to be said and so much has come out since then that there was some disconnect between him and Gettleman. Um, like with, with certain personnel moves like getting a Fady out of Negbo, who did absolutely or uh, sorry, Odenabo. Um, who who came here and was just absolutely not a fit for what Patrick Graham ran at all. And they knew it. And he instantly became like a third stringer. He's a dude who had like six and a half sacks the year before or something like that. Um, I think it's possible that he could have kept his job with that on his resume if they went to the playoffs that year. But it, it's such a slight – what we're talking about here is not him doing anything differently it's simply what it's the Eagles did. Kind of yeah. Like, well, we made the playoffs. I mean, but I mean, I think some I of it too. Times, we weren't a playoff team. We would have made the playoffs. But but here's the thing: if they went in that game and they really performed and they almost won or did win that first playoff game, then I think he could keep his job. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's not well, outside also, the realm of possibility at all. Well, also, I think it might have changed that whole off season too. Like, okay, we can build on this. We made it to the second round. You know, maybe the moves they make, maybe they get a better backup quarterback. Maybe, you know, yeah. they're in a little more of a win-now mode than that half-and-half half they were last year. So I guess... Maybe. You know, the, but- yeah. the butterfly... I mean, they were kind of in a win. I mean, they, they certainly threw money around last year. Yeah, but they, I think they would have spent more on a capable backup quarterback. I, I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter because I think Joe Judge was doomed. If they had won, I think that just would have further driven that Jason Garrett belonged there... Uh, and mm-hmm. they wanted to double down on that. I mean, unless he got another job after that, which I really doubt. Well, Gettleman probably would have been gone. I mean, right? I, I, I yeah, I, I think Gettleman was gone no matter year, what. So that little schism would, probably would have been over. But I, I honestly think that Gettleman being gone, if they had went to the playoffs, they would have transitioned right into Kevin Abrams. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe maybe it's for the best that that didn't happen. I don't know. 
well, what needs to be changed eventually should happen immediately. So that's kind of what happened. Um, and speaking of things changing immediately, uh, we're going to get into our position review. Um, <laughs> as with most positions on this team, they need to do something about this. This is a bad spot. And they've already kind of done something. Uh, with the off-ball linebacker, the middle linebacker, whatever you want to call it, um, the Giants simply don't have much there. They have Blake Martinez, um, who is coming off of an ACL injury. He did sustain that very early in the year last year. I believe it was week three against the Falcons, I want to say. I believe so, yes. I, I'm pretty sure it was a home game because I'm pretty sure I was clutching my hair in the stands. Um, what? Oh, sorry. I don't have hair. Clutching my hat. Um, um yeah, so they have that, and I'm not really sure how much of a scheme... I, mean, I don't think that Blake Martinez is not a scheme fit, but uh, he certainly fit really well in Patrick Graham's like more zone system, more step back and keep everything in front of you kind of kind of style. Um, I still think that he can play downhill. I think that he can blitz through the A-gap pretty well. I think that he can cover even in man situations pretty well. So I think he'll be okay in Wink Martindale's system. But again, this is a guy coming off of injury. Tay Crowder, on the other hand, is just barely passable as a starting linebacker i would i would describe him as fringe but he does have some athletic ability and he's also newer to the position as a former running back at georgia that's he that's how he was recruited and i mean you know what the what the depth chart at running back is like in georgia so he transitioned over to linebacker which by the way that's a pretty serious depth chart as well at georgia um Routinely, year after year, their their linebackers are pretty pretty good. So um, he has some athleticism. He can kind of blitz a little bit. He can run downhill. He can cover a little bit. But he's he's still feeling it out, and he can be exploited. Um, right now, I mean, given that we don't know what the deal is with Blake Martinez, this is really scary to me. Is the middle linebacker spot? Um, we don't really have an edge presence. I don't really know what our scheme is going to be like for our defensive lineman getting upfield, but. It feels like with a lot of Martindale stuff, we might be looking at defensive linemen kind of controlling offensive linemen and letting the linebackers do the talking. You know what I'm saying? So we might need some real ballers here. And I I think that they're going to prioritize this position at some point. Either – I would hope that they do it this year. <laughs> I really hope that they have a starter in mind to uh to help out because i don't feel very comfortable how do you feel about this position yeah the the blake martinez injury was week three against atlanta and uh that face i just made was my weekly shit the lightning got scored on again face so it's becoming (laughs) becoming another uh weekly staple on the just giants podcast but um yes i again the major exercise we've been doing grump and i is kind of prioritizing all of the needs we have on this team and everywhere we've turned every week has been this is a need for the Giants to improve. This is a need for the Giants to improve. This is a need for the Giants to improve. And this is certainly one of them. Um, I, I look at the roster. You know, I see a lot of things like, you know, Tay Crowder, seventh round. Hmm. Coughlin, seventh round. Cam Brown, sixth round. You know, these are guys that are, uh, you know, they're not, uh, they're not five-star recruits. <laughs> you know, so... You know, you're you have you have bodies, but you know the overall talent level and the overall productivity level has to increase. So, again, put that on your shopping list of you know, like your Christmas list to Santa Claus. I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. 
what does Santa Claus actually give you? What do you need the most? Santa's going to have a broken back carrying that sack around. Um, Yeah, well, I will say I was a little bit more scared about this position. I mean, I don't feel great about Blake Martinez returning. I, I certainly think he's the high effort guy. I think he's got the the right head on his shoulders to get through an ACL injury. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that first season back, you know, it's... We see it every year. That first season back, they're just not quite the same. They're out right. there and they got the name on the jersey, but it doesn't really look like them. Um, and, you know, it's a position with a lot of change of direction. So, I... But, but to be fair, I felt a lot worse when he... I had him pretty much written off as being cut. We both did, I believe. When we did yeah. Our- well, I mean, I, I had written him off by like week seven. I mean, it was just like <laughs> at that point I was like, what is this team going to do? I mean, they have no cap money. They're not winning shit this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought Blake Martinez was dead as a doornail for this team uh, very early last year. And going all the way back to the bye week last year, I think was the first time I said it on the podcast. Um, you know, I did. We did two episodes. We did I did one with you and one with Victor Perez where we kind of went over the roster and where this team was at. Um, that said, I do feel I do feel a little bit better that they at least were able to renegotiate his salary, get him down here on the cheap, and have some version of him, some version of a bona fide NFL starter on the roster. Mm-hmm. That's at least something. It's a starter. But it ain't much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if he goes down again or he's not 100% healthy – we got a problem. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that was already kind of the problem. Is we were we were lucky that we had Martinez in 2020 for all 16 games playing at a high level. Um, it was you know one of the I, I believe it was one of the question marks about him is the year before I don't think he had played very much. I think he was injured in Green Bay in 2019 or or phased out based on their defensive scheme or something like that. I don't know. Um, that said. I'm really hoping that this position gets addressed in the draft. And I will say that I kind of hope that it gets addressed in the draft more so than safety, uh, which is also a huge position of need. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's still early. I still have to look at the the team as an aggregate and be a little bit less laser-focused position by position, which will come in the coming weeks. Um, well, again, I, again, my timeline and horizon for this team is not – this year or even next year so if it's something that has to be addressed next year so be it you know i think you get the best guy you can and you know if it turns out we go safety as as opposed to inside linebacker this year okay if they don't address it next year you know we got when we got problems where maybe next year we don't have as many holes to fill after you know a successful draft and you know tinkering with the the capper and stuff so yeah i'm a little more I, i am a as a fan and as a you know a follower of this team, I've kind of adopted that we're almost an expansion team. Kinda, yeah. And you know, I I've taken a lot of the emotion out of you know worrying about what we're going to do this year record wise. I said that you know all off season when we did our cut down list and and all these different things that I'm not worried about the record this year. It was one of my six points, my six point rebuild plan, and I'm giving myself and I'm giving this team. A couple years to do this rebuild so again we've identified almost every position group we've gone through we've said this needs improvement this needs improvement and i'm willing to you know if we don't address it this year it's not a failure of the draft we don't have to start the fire joe shane chance but 
it just means it'll be more of a priority in the in the year after. So, and that's okay. Yeah. How many years in a row have you not cared about the record? Um, last year I cared about the record. Okay. I mean, last year was you know we were, you know, we we had a taste of what it's like to be in the playoffs, and yeah. I think I, you know we didn't go all or nothing last year, but you, I. I felt good after year one with Joe Judge for you know making chicken salad out of chicken shit, and I, I was concerned about the record last year. I, I wanted to see continued improvement. I wanted to go from a team that m- made the playoffs potentially to being a playoff team. You know, it was a bad division. The opportunity was there, and a lot of things that were in our control and out of our control prevented that. And now we're finally, for the first time in probably since the Eli draft, had hit the reset button really committed to a rebuild. Yeah. And I know a lot of fans think, Oh, this is year 12 of a rebuild. It's not, this is, we are finally done it. And (laughs) I think we're doing it the right way. I think we're doing it the smart way, the measured way again. Well, so far, so far, so far, I mean, the, the test will be what happens next year. If we surprise and go nine and eight, Oh yeah, that would that would surprise the shit out of me. Yeah, but I'm saying, what if that happens? What happens to our course of action going forward? Nothing. I think you you keep doing what you're doing. You got I, you got lucky. It's kind that's of you... where you know. That's where we find out what we got in Joe Shane. Good point. That's where it's like, okay, we have a keeper. We have a guy who's committed to a sustained, nuanced building and sustaining of a franchise. If you see, all of a sudden, we go back to, you know we just borrow against the future and bring in guys trying to make that, that, that nine, stretch that nine and eight into 12 and five exactly. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, right now this position to me needs to get addressed in the draft. Uh, and I think that they should do it sooner rather than later. There is some talent for off ball linebacker in this draft. They don't need to break the bank because in my opinion, there is not super top end, draft talent here there is a couple guys in the in the top end that i i kind of like but there's no to me there's no like but there's certainly no ray lewis in this draft you know what i mean there's nobody that is just a clear-cut inside linebacker that's going to be just a madman but there is some intriguing names and there's some names that i've mentioned before but to me the best inside linebacker here is probably nicobe dean from georgia now I will say that I have him as a talent level that's somewhere between the first and second round. And that, to me, is the hardest group of players to really pin a position on. Because it's like, you're picking between players like 20 through 40 or somewhere in there. And it's so easy to just mix and match them wherever. So I'm probably a little off on him. But remember, there's some things about N'Kobe Dean that are not that great. For instance, he's only 5'11". He's only 229 pounds. Uh, that is That is very small and very light for the position. However... He comes in like a bat out of hell. And he's so fast off the snap. So fast off the snap. And Georgia's defense kind of, their defensive line's job is to, like I was saying with Wink Martindale, potentially, is to kind of suck up a lot of the the offensive line attention and let the linebackers do the talking. Let them right. go in there. So all three of Georgia's linebackers this year were, were pretty productive. N'Kobe Dean is, was productive. I mean, and he also has some coverage ability. Um, he looks pretty comfortable in zone coverage, but... For the most part, he didn't really cover a whole lot. So, I mean, that's just another thing where 
you know, he's getting blown up, Nicobe Dean, for some of his tape because he has some real shock value plays. And believe me, I would love Nicobe Dean on this team. I would love it, especially, you know, just the sheer athleticism, athleticism with him next to Tay Crowder alone, who is mm-hmm. a fringe starter, puts us in an advantage. Um but he's not he's not perfect. I mean, sometimes he's a little over aggressive. He can overrun plays. He can get fooled by play action and over overrun it. Um but for the most part, he's a very good pass rusher as a blitzer. Um he's an ideal spy for your more mobile quarterbacks. I mean, if you have to go up against Patrick Mahomes, having a linebacker to just kind of sit back kind of in that like middle coverage and just keep their eyes on the quarterback and make sure that they're not running free, well, that's a perfect job for him. Well, forget about even, you know, Mahomes. Think about who the quarterbacks are in our division. Sure. Yeah, Dak Prescott. I mean, and those are those are well, Jalen Hurts is probably the most mobile and most threatening. Dak Prescott can move and do enough to damage you. I don't know that he needs a spy specifically, but he has the makeup speed to be, you know, in coverage and uh, what I want to say, ne- not negate, but minimize the damage Min- that somebody like Dak Prescott can do on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm as an impact player, I think the Kobe Dean is fantastic. I think he's more of a downhill player. He's not so much in coverage, which is why I have him in that first to second round range. But make no mistake about it, I would absolutely love him. So as far as where the Giants are drafting, I mean, we're talking about now trading down and yeah, him being yeah, available. I or I think if he's sitting there at the top of the second round, I think you really got to consider Nicobe Dean. That's what I was going to say. He sounds like a guy where if we trade down with the second pick, he would be a more appealing candidate. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anybody in the top 10 range for linebacker at all. Um, I don't think – and I don't think that's as pressing of as a need as the other things we talked about to use right. those two picks. Right. Um, but also in that same little group is another player that I have mentioned multiple times. Uh, he was on my preseason watch list, and that's linebacker from Utah – um, Devin Lloyd. Now, Devin Lloyd is not nearly as athletic or as impactful as Nicobe Dean, but he's a lot better in coverage. He has a lot more experience in coverage, and he's your ideal height. Wait, 6'3", 240 pounds? That's about what you want at inside linebacker. And he looks very comfortable in zone coverage. He looks very comfortable in coverage. Um, and he also, he's fast. I mean, his 40 time is is unimpressive, 466 he doesn't look like he plays at that speed. So I don't really care so much about 40 times in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I have questions about a guy's speed, they can make me feel better about it. But I don't feel like he's a 4-6 player on the field. The mm-hmm. same way I don't feel anything about Kyle Hamilton's shitty 4-40 time. At um, the, hey, at the combine, do they do like the 20-yard dash, like a shorter little burst, yeah, They like do the, the shuttle and the three-cone drill. Um, I don't have those. T- a lot of linebackers didn't do shit um, at this combine. And I don't really – I don't follow the combine live, so I don't really know why. But uh, important to note about Nicobe Dean is that he actually strained his pec muscle training for the combine and didn't do anything. And I don't think he did anything in his pro day either. So I think he scheduled a later pro day to do more stuff. What's for- the status of the injury? Like I said, their their pro day, he didn't do anything, and that was like a week ago. No, I mean, is this something like they think it's going to linger into like? I camp I don't I don't think so because, like I said, he scheduled a later date to do more exercises for. Okay. I, I think that's like maybe next week or something like that. Um, so he should be fine, but I haven't. He hasn't done anything yet, so I I can't really say that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but back to Devin Lloyd, um, I really like the way that he does blitz. I think he does a pretty good job of using his hands and his speed. I think that he's good to fight in and jump gaps. I think he's effective as a blitzer. I would like him to be a little bit more decisive, but... I mean, he's he's playing in Utah. It's not really the same kind of defense as Georgia where you're just surrounded by elite talent and you can just kind of pin your ears back or, or trust that everybody around you is doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's just my opinion anyway. Um, well, the Pac-12 is, again, it's not like he's playing in the MAC or something. That's, yeah, ex- sure. I mean, he has to play Chip Kelly's offense at UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Oregon every year is, is something. Oregon State from time to time is something. So Cal, oh, never mind. <laughs> Sorry, Mars. Yeah, I was gonna say, is she in the room? <laughs> well, I think she's serving divorce papers as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> calling up a lawyer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, Devin Lloyd is fantastic. He has some different issues, but you know, he's he's not as confident and not as aggressive as Nicobe Dean, so he doesn't look like the bat out of hell that I think Nicobe Dean is going to be. But I think that he's. He's got a place in the NFL doing a lot more coverage stuff. I mean, he, he's close to like. I haven't felt this good about a linebacker in coverage coming out of the draft in a long, long time. So mm-hmm. that's saying something. And I, I would feel very comfortable if the Giants took Devin Lloyd. I would like N'Kobe Dean better. But I, I also don't think that Devin Lloyd – yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that that would be a huge upgrade for this team is getting something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this is that same range where if they're sitting there at the top of the second round, I have a strong consideration for either one of these guys. I, I have even said in the past that if the Giants traded down to like, you know, somewhere in the late teens to consider Devin Lloyd there. Um, I've backed off on that like a little bit now that I've done full research on the position, but I still really like them and I wouldn't be totally butthurt if they did that. <laughs> Quite a visual. Yeah. Um, Quay Walker is a number, another guy from Georgia. He's not quite as good. He's not nearly as impactful, but he's he also had a fantastic year. I think he would fit in really well. But this is really where the sweet spot is. Between rounds three and four, I think there's a lot of NFL talent here. Um, and these are all guys that have like one big question mark about them, at least. Um, typically, that's it. Just, just the one big question mark. And you can kind of roll with that as a starter, in my opinion. And I think in rounds three and four, you're kind of getting a good player and you want someone that can see the field or that you can develop or something like that. Um, and there's there's a dude that has been making some noise around and that's Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Um, another one, 6'3", 250. He's about the only guy that has an NFL body. Um, that I'm going to highlight, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, that right there, he doesn't need to add a pound. He doesn't need to do anything. He's already he's already got a good NFL physique, just got to hit that NFL locker room. You know what I mean? Um, he runs a 4-5-40. So, I mean, he can move too. He's not just a big guy. Um, his thing really for me is I would like him to be a little bit more active in coverage. I think that he can be exploited in zone coverage. He doesn't look as comfortable. I would like to see him a little bit more active, a little to, to stick to his receiver that comes into his zone instead of just chilling in the zone. You know what I'm saying? I mean that, and the NFL is all about tight windows. So if you're not running up to whoever's in, entering your zone, you're not doing zone coverage. You're just standing in a spot. 
Um, he's going to have to develop that. And I don't know that he's ever going to develop as a man cover guy. So coverage is going to be the big thing with Leo Chanel. And it's going to be up to those NFL scouts, general managers, front office guys to determine, I guess in coaches too, right? To determine if that's a trait that they think they can develop from him. Because if they can't, I would bump him down a little bit and see if he's chilling closer to the fourth round, maybe the late third, something like that, and just use him to be downhill. Um, because he is speedy. He is aggressive. I think he times his blitzes really well. And I think he's he's got the ability to fight through blocks pretty well, which is at the NCAA level, a lot of what we see from guys who blitz taking on O-line and blocks, a lot of what they do is they just kind of throw their body weight into them and hope that they can blow up the block enough to just keep running mm-hmm. and run past them. And what happens a lot of times is that's not effective, right? I mean, that's just kind of obvious, especially you get up the better and better linemen. It's not going to happen in the NFL. Yeah, oh, it's certainly not going to happen in the NFL. So guys that come in there and they show that fight to me where they'll just they'll keep moving their hands, keep fighting. I don't even care that they're experienced or good hand fighters so much as I care that they're already using their hands actively. How it's, much is that coachable versus you just – See, that – to me – if you, I think you can develop hand fighting moves if you're already using your hands. I think it gets harder when guys aren't used to using their hands. You get a lot of that Matt Parrot syndrome where they're just not aggressive. They're just not in that fight. Like hit the guy. You play football. Hit him. <laughs> hit him. You know what I mean? The guys that understand that much but don't really know what they're doing, that can be taught. But you can't teach someone to want to hit somebody. And that's a big thing for me. I look for that at every single position. Leo Chanel wants to hit people. So I am okay with that. I think you can develop into him into a, 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 a an animal at, at linebacker. I would be totally okay with Leo Chanel there. More importantly is a guy that I am not seeing anybody talk about. Really nobody. And he comes from a school that I like the way their defense is coached. I like the way their defense plays. Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State. I don't know why no one's talking about this guy. Every negative I see about him is that he's not great in coverage, which he's okay. He's not great, but he's he's okay. And he's short. Okay, he's 5'11 and 232. N'Kobe Dean, 5'11, 229. Not great in coverage, not great in coverage. So what's the problem here? Why is N'Kobe Dean first round talent and Malcolm Rodriguez I'm seeing in the fourth and fifth round? That makes no sense to me. Malcolm... Is it kind of branding because he played at Georgia? And it's and- probably – but to me, when I look at what Nicobe Dean played around, he played around tons of – all three linebackers there are going to be draft picks. All three They'll probably have close to nine starters in the NFL at some point, that Georgia team. Easily, yeah. And, and when I look at Malcolm Rodriguez, he's playing Oklahoma State. He's playing in a different conference where they, air quotes, don't play defense in the Big 12, right? Um, certainly not like the SEC does. Certainly not like, and, and I'm not trying to say that, right? I, I totally understand that their tape is not nearly the same. Well, it's a right? different type, it's a different style of play out there than it is. Sure. Itself. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not really, I'm really not trying to make an apples to apples comparison. There is no comparison. I have Nicobe Dean ahead of Malcolm Rodriguez. What I'm saying is that there's no reason, reason for this. At least I don't see one for this massive gap between the two of them because. What I see is someone who has the speed to turn and run with running backs, and he gets right in the hip pocket and runs alongside the receivers. I think he's pretty good in coverage. He's okay. So you're seeing him like fourth, fifth round, or what are you seeing? I see him. This is third round talent to me. Right now, yeah, right now what I'm seeing around the internet and whatever, which I can't really trust this early in April, (laughs) um, is him way later than that. 
so if they can get him in the fourth round, to me, this is third round talent. That's just the way I see it. As a okay. blitzer, I think he's disruptive at the least. He uses his extreme speed. He's a 4-5 runner to knife into gaps really well. He causes havoc. And it's one of those things where it's like maybe he doesn't get home, but he screws everything up for for offenses. He just completely blows up blocking screams. He might get some other guys in. Remember, he's playing at Oklahoma State, so it's not like they have this team of 11 pass rushers. So, I mean, he may be screwing stuff up to the point where other guys have a chance to do something and they're just not good enough. Right. You know, I, I think he's decisive. I think he reads and reacts really well. I think he's excellent against the run. He's fantastic. He's a tackling machine. Um, and this is another guy that uses his hands really well. You'll see him consistently fighting O-linemen to get free. I like Malcolm Rodriguez. I would absolutely welcome him on this team. To me, he is the first true super diamond in the rough that I've found. Um, yeah. And, and I guarantee you, I don't think he's going in the third round because I just simply haven't seen it around anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I, I I fully expect to be wrong about stuff, but I, I feel very confident about that one. Um, you know, the third and fourth rounds also have other guys like Damon Clark from LSU, who's pretty good. I was a little underwhelmed from him at the Senior Bowl, personally. Uh, Balen Spector at Clemson. Chad Muma from Wyoming, I actually did like at the Senior Bowl. He's just a little athletically limited. And this one's interesting. Christian Harris is kind of polarizing, the Alabama right. prospect, right? I mean, he's got all the tools, and I just don't see the production from him. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. You know, you've, you face Alabama every single year. Did Christian Harris ever really come up as a guy who just screwed everything up for Florida? No. I mean, to be very honest, in the last couple of years we played Bama, their defense really hasn't screwed us up that much. Yeah. Not no. in 2020. I mean, that was a shootout. Yeah. The, uh, that SEC. And even last year, I mean, quite honestly, we had their defense on their heels. You know, for the second half of the, of the game, we killed them in uh, time possession. We were able to grind running the ball and stuff so i was if you didn't have like the bama jersey on those guys you'd be like it's a solid team this isn't great you know mac um bryce young was really good but the defense was nothing that it certainly was not georgia's defense No. no not at all yeah and and christian harris i think his time at alabama has been marked by underwhelming Mm -hmm. And to me, I watch it and I still see, I see all the traits there and I get it. I just don't see the on-field production. And if he can't produce at the college level, I just don't understand with, how, how people think he's going to produce at the NFL level. afforded you too. Like Absolutely. Alabama is second to none with facilities and coaching and support and laying under the lights against, you know, the, the, the best teams and the most mm-hmm. you know, uh, media coverage of, of any college team. And if you, you don't do it there, I'm not sure, you know. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, do you turn I, it on and go to the NFL? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Again, I could be wrong about this because I think everybody else has Christian Harris a little bit higher than I do. But I just, he doesn't even look that physical to me. Like usually, I'm used to seeing Alabama linebackers at the very least, like Reggie Ragland, Alabama mm-hmm. linebacker. I thought mm-hmm. he was going to be a badass in the NFL the way he played at college. I was wrong. He's not a badass. He's barely functioning. You know, we had we signed. Well, you just him. don't know about guys. You know, yes. Yeah. You throw money into the mix. Now, this will be something interesting going forward is with NILs and these mm. kids who are going to get to start to be paid in college. It's going to be an interesting test to see you know, another kind of data point. You can see how do they handle having money? 
Because, you know, well, uh, because they already have fame. I mean, these guys are gods on college campuses. Right, but they don't have money unless you go right. to Georgia where they pay you. Uh, <laughs> but now, you know, the elite of the elite, the guys you're really trying to dissect with a fine-tooth comb, you know, the, 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 your first-round picks, they're all going to have varying degrees of NIL money mm-hmm. in addition to the bag men on their campuses. So you'll be able to see, you know, that first taste of cash, how they change. You know, they still have that same... Worth at work ethic they did. Are they still hungry? Are they still? Now it's more of a crapshoot with a lot of these guys. Again, unless they went to Georgia, so it's good. I think that's going to help with the process of evaluating guys, you know, their psyche and what's in their brain, as opposed to just the physical attributes and you know how they run around in their underwear, for example. Yeah, uh, I don't really, I don't have a strong opinion on on that personally uh but it is going to be interesting to see how it changes things yeah I, i'm not i'm not saying no i know i know uh, but having them paid i'm just talking about the effect of getting paid how you can evaluate another way you can potentially evaluate them so it's less of that uh you know like it's like a guy like reggie ragland i'm not using him specifically because i don't know his situation but a guy that was so dominant in college why he's not in the nfl it's is he does he not have that motivation because he's gotten paid you know and even paid we're not talking about the blockbuster contract. You know, getting money in the NFL is a complete, it's still a life changing amount of money from when you were in college or in high school. And especially if you're from, you know, a poor area. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that's going to change things, but I know it's going to change things. I mean, we're already seeing, I mean, I, I just, I don't know how much of an effect that's going to be. I thought that the transfer portal thing was going to super mess things up, and I actually think that it's helped. I think it's helped guys like Jermaine Johnson, who was stuck in Georgia, uh, get to FSU. I mean, not for nothing, Jermaine Johnson has, we didn't talk about this on the Edge episode, but the dude found his way out of Juco into Georgia and then found his way into Florida State where he could be the guy and really yeah. put numbers on. I mean, he is really bet on himself, and I mean, it worked out for him. The transfer report is fantastic for athletes because, you know, you commit to a school before the transfer portal, you're stuck there unless you transfer. And you don't you know have, what the coaching situation is going to well, be Well, that's like. it. The coaches can leave at a drop of a hat. I mm-hmm. mean, what's his name? Who is at, at Oklahoma? You'd think, is there one of the more stable jobs for the next decade plus, and all of a sudden, yeah. I'm gone. I'm going to, uh, you know... And all of a sudden, you're a quarterback who's been recruited there to play in a very specific offense, and they hire some other guy who doesn't run your offense, doesn't want you there, and so exactly. what? You're screwed? Right. Yeah. I, I agree. But, you know, I, I thought that was going to screw up everything. And then um, there's schools like, you know, the Georges and the Bamas and now the A&Ms who, they're monster recruiting machines. They're top three every year, and they draft, you know— four five-star quarterbacks and you know 11 five-star offensive linemen it's like well they're not gonna play yeah so if you lose that battle to be the starter you're a five-star recruit looking at going to the nfl and you're gonna be riding the pine yeah and you're not gonna get drafted high with no tape exactly so yeah i think it's a net positive i mean it gets to be very frustrating as a fan of a college because you know and I'm, I'm sure you land a big guy a and then he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, great. I got this guy. Oh, he's gone. You know, so free agency has his, it's, for who it's intended for, the, the athletes, it's great for them. For us, we have to kind of deal with the emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Well, that's all part of sports, I guess. That's though. it. Um, any closing thoughts on the linebacker position? 
like I said before, uh, again, it's on our list, you know, but uh, and if we don't, you know, solidify it this year, I'm not going to be too upset because it probably means most likely we've addressed something else of, of equal or greater concern. And, um, you know, we'll deal with it. We could always and again, I preface this every show. There's always cut down day and you know, we could pick up somebody to kind of help with the depth and the position till and hold it until next year where we can draft where we don't have as many needs that we have to, you know, we, this time next year, we, we're not going to be talking about the need necessarily for a tackle. Yeah. Or maybe not for an edge Hopefully, rusher. right? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully so, some of the needs that we have will be quelled and we can concentrate exactly. with, because I'll say this much, any, any linebacker that they get in the fifth, the late fourth, all the way through the end Good chance that they're going to be a special teamer only. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team is full of seventh and sixth round draft picks right. um, at, at the position. Another one there is going to do pretty much the same thing, unless they're falling for no just reason. Get them a year younger and you know maybe a little cheaper. That's all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's going to be it. We're going to finish up the defense before moving to the rest of the offense on our next episode. We'll be doing our defensive line stuff which, believe it or not, is actually a need, but probably the smallest need on the team, the, the least the, immediate. The least immediate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think it's something that we could potentially defer to next year. Yeah, 100%. But a need nonetheless, as we have a giant contract there that probably won't see the end of its lifespan with Leonard Williams. We have a fifth-year issue going on with Dexter Lawrence. we got to figure out if we're going to sign him to that now before he can demand a gigantic contract now that the defensive line contracts have all been spiked by the bj hills of the world etc do you think dexter lawrence is in line for a ginormous contract i think that he is going to command more money than people think because the defensive line market spiked this year and Mm -hmm. i think that I think that NFL people value what he does more than fans do so i think he's going to surprise some people like the, the players know what he does. It's not flashy. It doesn't show up on stat sheets for him very often. But he has a lot of versatility. He's very frustrating for offensive linemen. He tends to suck up multiple blockers and allow other players to make plays. It's it's an important thing that uh, teams put a premium on. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that he'll command more money than people realize. But he's not going to be getting any Dexter, uh, d- d- um, Leonard Williams kind of deal or anything like no, that. No, so. no. Um, but I think he'll make more than BJ Hill. So I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, it might behoove the Giants to give him that fifth-year option uh, now while it's a set price mm-hmm. <laughs> and not when they want to potentially re-sign him next year and Some have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we will go over all that stuff on next episode of Just Giants. And we will see you there on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. for the audio version. And, of course, these episodes on YouTube where they are better viewed. And we are on Twitter, at football underscore grump, at the cranky fan. I post a lot more draft stuff on there, so be sure to follow me if you are interested and, in any of that stuff. And it's time for my yearly announcement. You know, next week, well, actually, Friday starts the baseball season. We are all united. We are all together blue. But... Starting Friday, I think we our paths diverge. As you, some of you may know, I am a diehard Tampa Bay Rays fan. Most of you are not, so don't take anything baseball related personal. No matter how much strictly I strictly business. It's strictly business, uh, Sonny. But uh, 
no. Uh, so I, I rip on the Red Sox just as much as I do on the Yankees. I keep very it, true. I, I try to keep it fair. So don't hate me. You, you may want to maybe mute me for a week or so, but don't uh, don't unfollow, please. And we'll all sit back. Maybe maybe we'll plan a uh, a Just Giants uh, Yankee Rays game at Yankee Stadium. I know I talked to uh, Bobby and, and Justin over at uh, Talking Giants that we might do that. So maybe we'll have like a special outing this summer. So I'll get drunk for no reason. Punch me in the face if you want, and, or talk Giant football. One of the two. Yeah, I mean, if it's me, I'm probably gonna get drunk in the sun because I don't care about baseball. But I mean, that's what baseball is good for, right? It's good for getting a <laughs> drunk chance. in the sun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, everyone. We will see you all sober next week. Go Giants. Go Giants.